Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Continuing in our study of the creeds of the Christian Church, we come today to the number one most important creedal stance from the early church, the Nicene Creed. The occasion for the council in Nicaea was the false teachings from the presbyter Arius of Alexandria. He was influenced by the cultural swell of theological thinking, and his conclusion was to depart from God's word in favor of what he thought was a logical consistency, but what in essence was the potential unraveling of the center of our faith. Is Jesus God, or is he a creature? Thanks for listening today as we journey back together to the halls of our forefathers to better understand the faith once for all handed down. wanted to uh, show you guys, bring something in this morning. You guys know what this is. Yeah. yeah. Sandy said she liked the children's sermon, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little note there from... Oh. Now, now that actually makes a good point for me. What's the importance of this little piece right here? Yeah. Um, now, I, I got the kind here that you can pick up. It's got three different ball sizes for a hitch, right? And uh, it told you just about anything you need if you got the horsepower. Unless you forget this one little piece. You know, it's the smallest piece. Looks like it's kind of insignificant. Doesn't really matter. But you can, uh, you can hook this up uh, all day long. And you can put as much as you want or as little as you want in the back. And it's not moving anywhere unless you get this little pin, this little piece right here. Um, it was earlier in the summer. I was taking my dad's boat out and had it all hooked up. And uh, I had my son with me. And... Of course, we got donuts and worms. The, the worms were for the fish. The donuts were for us. And we were just excited to have a good time. And as we're putting everything together, um, I'm going through all the motions of hooking everything up. And uh, you got to put the chains on, right? Don't forget the chains. And um, got everything ready to go. And as I pulled forward, forgot to put the pin in. Now, if you have a, if you have a boat trailer, you know there's a, there's a wheel usually on the front that cranks it down and cranks it back up. And then once you have it set onto the hitch... Uh, you can you can fold that little arm up, right? Well, if you do pull ahead and you don't have this part in there, that will fall right back down to the ground. And then you're in a world of trouble. I hope you brought a jack with you at that point. Um, my problem in this particular day was I think I was just too distracted and wasn't paying attention to what needed to happen. Now, these little mistakes, thankfully, they don't happen on the highway so we can learn from them. Um, my reason to tell you this morning is because even as we look to our faith, uh, there's a lot of component components to it. It may feel like quite a large load that is being towed. Um, but if we change just one tiny piece, if we leave out just one tiny piece, the whole thing could fall apart. Um, as we have been in this study on the creeds, uh, we have been looking at the importance of answering the question that Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the answer that we've come to is that he is to be the Lord, that, that means to be the ruler. And yet for the early church, there was confusion over this. There was confusion because they did not all understand or agree as to the nature of God and particularly to the nature of Jesus. Uh, we studied the last two weeks the Apostles' Creed. And after the time of the Apostles' Creed being adopted into the church, everybody for the most part said, yes, we believe that Jesus is Lord. They, they got that part right. But then a little bit later on, there became an unraveling all the more 
as to who uh, Jesus is in respect to his nature. That is specifically his unity with God. And so this morning, we're going to look at the next ecumenical creed that, that is given to the church. It is the Nicene Creed. And uh, part of what we will do this morning is we're going to work through uh, the, the story of where it comes from. Um, I, I would imagine some of you, show of hands, are familiar. You've heard or, or have um, recited the Nicene Creed before. Show of hands, I'm not familiar. Uh, I'm not even sure what this is. Um, good. So uh, if, if this is for you, an entry into this, um, I want to give a bit of a warning. This morning we're going to be talking about some fairly big words. So <laughs> put your seatbelt on, church. All right, we're going we're gonna to push through it. Um, but as we do, we're going to unfold the story of what's happening. And I need to preface it with this major point. This is, for the church, the most important issue throughout church history. Had it not been for the Council of Nicaea, our faith would essentially be dissolved. Christianity, as you know it today, would cease to exist without the Nicene Creed and without the council that met there. Because what they did was worked through the crucial issue that mattered more than anything for our understanding of God and our relationship with him as we come to understand who he is. So after the Apostles' Creed, uh, the early church, they... Um, began to wrestle with God's nature. Uh, Believing that Jesus is Lord, they came with two theological words. Hey, no yawning, don't fall asleep here. Everybody with me? Two theological words. The first is called immutability. There's a $6 word for you right there. Immutability. God is immutable. Essentially, and just to keep it short, it means God does not change. This for us is something that we see taught through Scripture. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? God is the same. He does not change. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, he will repeatedly say, I do not change my mind. I do not change like men do. God is different than the creation as the creator he is, and the word is immutable. There's another word, another $6 word they came up with, and it is the impassibility of God. God is impassable. Again, to keep it brief, it simply means, in short, God cannot be changed. So these two together, God does not change, and God cannot be changed. Uh, They made for the church an understanding about God that began confusion over the person of Jesus Christ. As they conceived of God the Father, they understood that God the Father is unpersonified. Okay, now let me lose you on these big words. It means that, that God the Father is, in essence, transcendent. He is, uh, he is above our reach, above our ability to know fully. Again, does not change, it cannot be changed. And yet... We see in the scriptures Jesus being called and worshipped as God, and yet Jesus is personified. Uh, we, we see Jesus getting tired, right? He's, a, he's asleep in the hull of the boat. Uh, we see Jesus thirsty, asking for a drink of water. And we, we see Jesus and understanding very similarly to how we understand ourselves. Uh, he is man. He is human. And we would identify with him. Um, there was growing within the church um, in these theological constructs an attempt to solve the confusion. 
How is it that we worship Jesus as our Lord, but he seems to change? And yet God the Father does not. And that kind of environment, that soil, if it were, uh, began some folks from within the church who taught things about Jesus contrary to what is true. What they did in essence was they pulled out the linchpin of the weight of God's glory in Jesus Christ. Um, I have for us up here on the screen uh, the um, Nicene Creed. I'm sure you can all read that. <laughs> if you cannot, you should have in your sermon notes on the back uh, the same thing a little bit easier uh, to identify with. And one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to show you uh, how the Apostles' Creed actually shows up inside of the Nicene Creed. And so for the church, what they did at Nicaea was continue to um, advance the understanding of who God is. And now specifically dealing with the person of Jesus Christ. Um, The Apostles' Creed was the question of how do we understand who God is in reference to man. The Nicene Creed is how do we understand who Jesus is in reference to God's unity. How is Jesus and God the Father, how are they unified? And uh, so woven right inside of the Apostles' Creed, or I'm sorry, inside the Nicene Creed, you will see the Apostles' Creed. On your sermon notes, I put in bold uh, the parts that reference the Apostles' Creed, and then in regular uh, font, you will see there the entirety of the Nicene Creed. So the story goes like this. There was a elder at the church in Alexandria. His name was Arius. Without taking too much time, You cannot hear me say that without recognizing Arius, this false teacher, is not coming from outside the church. He's an elder in the church at Alexandria. And he, in effort to to bring a continuity between these seemingly contradictory doctrines of God, comes up with a saying about Jesus Uh, that removes from him deity. There is one there, the uh, bishop in Alexandria. Um, His name is Alexander. uh, So that's easy to remember, right? Alexander of Alexandria. Um, And then uh, the one who really comes to be the champion of the Nicene Creed after Alexander is a man named Athanasius. And here's what they did. They they really laid forth these three possibilities of existence. You have God, you have Jesus, and you have everything else. You have all of creation. The question is, Where do you draw the line of unity? Which of these two things go together? Remember that from Sesame Street? One of these things is not, not, yeah. One of these. This is is what they were doing all the way back then. Sesame Street there in Alexandria. And Arius said that to preserve the doctrine of God, you had to draw the line right there. Between God and Jesus. So God is preserved in his immutability. God is preserved in his impassibility. And Jesus is really very much like the rest of creation. In fact, Jesus is a creature. Uh, Alexander and Athanasius, they drew the line here. And it's amazing, isn't it? This tiny little line that could be drawn changes everything. So which of these is it? Which of these is correct? Arius actually had quite a few followers because, as I have already mentioned, these theological movements at the time had a large following. And so it it made good logical sense to demote Jesus to the realm of creation. After all, he is a man, is he not? Jesus is fully man. 
And we see it evidenced through the testimony of the Gospels. And so it makes good logical sense. And Arius had a large following. Uh, uh, in fact, quite uh, the majority of the people were really swept up in this idea, in this teaching, that Jesus is really a creature, uh, a, a lesser deity. Only one not eternally coexistent with the Father, but one who came into existence at a certain time. Uh, for Alexander and Athanasius, they see that this little line actually is the string. Uh, do you ever have one of those sweaters where you're trying to pull the end on it and it just keeps unraveling the whole? Yeah, that's what this string would do. That if you moved it over there, that alone will begin to unravel the entirety of our faith. And so Alexander uh, declares that Arius's teaching is and ought to be condemned. Now, Arius an elder in the church. What do you think he did? Oh, thank you for, thank you for correcting me. I, I appreciate that. No. no, he and his followers, they went to the streets and a riot began to break out. Um, pretty soon, you, you had two warring factions within Christianity disagreeing on this principled issue. Now, there's one other thing historically that has happened at this time that you need to know is going on. And that has, and that is specifically that by the year 300, the church has been undergoing such persecution um, and, and growing at the same time that the existing ruling empire, Rome, took a look, particularly one uh, Caesar, um, Constantine is his name, and he, he may be well-intentioned, maybe not. I will, I will literally go way too long on this, so I'm tapping the brakes here to slow down the history. He made Christianity... The state religion. And it was no longer illegal to be a Christian. And Christians were no longer being persecuted. Now, for the first time in our history, you could legally worship Jesus Christ. Now, you might think that's great, but let me again very briefly just say, anytime that you mix faith and the government, it will always lead to corruption. It will always. And no doubt this is what began to happen as well uh, for the now holy Roman Empire under the rule of Constantine. For Constantine heard of this, this friction that's going on in Alexandria. And as one of their territories, and as the word continued to spread and bishops began to disagree, he called an ecumenical council to solve this issue. The Arian heresy is the primary issue for the Council of Nicaea. Now, there were some 1,800 different uh, bishops scattered throughout Rome. Only 300 actually come to town that day, uh, to, or for the time period, to meet there at Nicaea. Um, they actually go through quite a few things. How do they deal with those who have last lapsed? Um, how do they understand ordination? They work through a lot of issues, but the Arian heresy is the primary issue. Let me just do a little bit of review from last week. <clears throat> Does anyone remember what creed means Say it if you remember. It comes from the verb credo, which means I believe. It means I believe. That's what creeds mean. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, do you remember where it was used in church? Where do they use it for primarily? It was, it was something that was done for the candidates as they were preparing for baptism. Very good. Um, you might recall that the creeds um, define Christians and are kept by Christians. This is all review from last week. And the last thing I want to review is that the purpose of the creeds was to preserve the faith and another P word, pro 
protect the faith. The Nicene Creed is, is the same. In that effort, it is given to preserve the faith and to protect the faith from false teachers and from false teaching. So let's look at it very quickly. Arius taught these three things. First, he taught Jesus is not co-eternal with the Father. Well, there's a reason why Sandy read for us out of uh, John chapter 1 today. In fact, if you, you were to just recall it, I have it up here on the screen. You remember this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? The Word was with God. If you didn't catch it the first time, he says, and the Word was God, and then he was with God when? Now, what is Arius teaching? Jesus is really not co-eternal with the Father. And yet, where was Jesus in the beginning? With the Father. The Word was with God in the beginning. So you can see immediately how leaving God's Word behind will lead to false teachings in the church. Secondly, Arius taught Jesus is a creature. Well, let's one more time go back to 1 John. And what, what is it John helps us to see? The Word was? Does it say creature? No. Uh, from the disciple, the beloved disciple, who records for this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is given to the church. Make no mistake. John doesn't put this in the middle of his gospel. He doesn't leave it for the end. Verse 1. Jesus is God. Now, you can only put the line somewhere. Either he is God or he's part of creation. You don't get both of those. And Arius here, one more time, teaching contrary uh, to that which Scripture says declares Jesus just to be a creature. And then there was a popular saying, as they made the riots in the streets, as they went about propagating this teaching, they had a, a particular sing-song way of uh, referring to it. It was this phrase. They would say, there was a time when he was not. There was a time when he was not. That became kind of the hearken battle cry, the, the creed of itself for the Arians. In reference to Jesus, they would say there was a time where he was not. Well, what verse do you think I'm going to go to again to solve this one? First John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. There was never a time when Jesus was not. Um, so the church here has to fashion an understanding about this. But if you went with Arius's teaching, imagine what that does for the teaching about salvation. Imagine, if you were, if it were true, Jesus is not God. He's just a creature. Well, if we are saved through Jesus, then we are saved through a what? We are saved through a man. We're saved through a creature. But is it not given evidence throughout our understanding in the church that it is not man who saves, but who? But God who saves. This is a major problem. If Arius' teaching is to be true or believed, well, this would also mean that Jesus' death on the cross is not an eternal sacrifice. Um, when you sin, <clears throat> let's dial in a little bit simpler as an illustration. Let's say you were to steal 10 bucks from mom. What do you owe mom in return? 20, I heard. <laughs> If you, were to, if you were to transgress somebody here on earth in a finite and limited nature, are you infinite or finite? You know the difference between those. Do you have a beginning? You do. You have a beginning, right? 
And if you are finite in the sense that there are bookends, this means that whatever transgression is done between the bookends is not infinite. It is limited in its ability to be repaid. All right? You can can pay it back. But your transgression was not against man alone. You and I sinned against who? Now tell me, where are God's bookends? You and I have committed a grave offense. Not in that we've offended somebody who is limited, but we have offended he who is infinite. And therefore, our payment, our recompense in kind must be infinite. Now, how deep do your pockets go? Can you reach down and find infinite payment? Uh, This is one reason, again, this is a whole different issue, where we look at torment, where we look at separation from God as being an eternal punishment. And it's because the only thing that you have to give is the life that you have, and that would be in eternity a payment that is left to be given. Your atonement had to be made by one who had the pockets deep enough to repay he who is infinite without bookends. But there was a time when he was... If that's true, then Jesus cannot be an adequate payment and recompense before God on the transgressions and the sins of mankind. Two things Jesus had to have. He had to have a human nature, for we were the ones who offended God. We therefore have to be the ones that repay him. Jesus was fully man, but Jesus also had to be fully God to make this payment. You all with me on this? Say amen if you're with me. i got to get a little bit. All right, here we go. So what is the church's response to this? Athanasius shows up and he gives us three things. First of all, He says, if there was a time when he was not, then that means by implication there was also a time when the father was not a father. And we've already already established, can God change? No. So can there be a time when God was not father? No. No. Jesus has to be begotten, not in time, but from eternity past. And this becomes a better way of us understanding what we mean by Father and what we mean by Son. Uh, God gives us these understandings, these titles, such that not we would confuse ourselves thinking that there was a time that Jesus is brought into existence. His, his, hear me now. His incarnation is within time. Jesus was born of Mary within time, but he is eternally begotten of the Father. Otherwise, the Father would cease to be the father and god cannot change so he he answers with that secondly he says that only god can save humanity and we essentially established that already just previously and thirdly jesus is called and worshiped as god a few places i just want to offer to you i i have these up here on the screen in john chapter 13 they're going to stone jesus not because of anything he's done or said but because he's claiming to be god uh, the, the people, they understood that very clearly. In John chapter 20, you, you, you might remember this story. What little nickname do we give the disciple Thomas? Poor Tom, right? He's got to go throughout history. He's being called Doubting Thomas. Well, essentially what Thomas wanted to see was physical proof. Jesus says, uh, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. But that moment, if you go back and read it, where Thomas encounters Jesus and he does touch his hands, He falls down and in worship exclaims, My Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. Now, think of the blasphemy of that. 
if Jesus wasn't God. You, you understand? If Jesus' really whole intention here, like Arius says, is to bring God glory as a mere creature, then how blasphemous of Jesus to allow somebody to refer to him as God if, in fact, he isn't God. All of this to say and show us he actually is God. And Thomas is spot on when he refers to Jesus as my Lord, which was essentially last week's message on the Apostles' Creed. And then he continues with my God, which is today's message for the Nicene Creed. Two more that you might just not be familiar with. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says your attitude needs to be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing. Uh, taking upon the likeness of a servant, being made like a man. Um, Jesus here being referenced as God in the book of Philippians. And then lastly, Titus chapter 2. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright, upright godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, which is what, Paul? Oh, let me tell you, Paul says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Who, who is that? Who, who's our God and Savior? Well, let me tell you, says Paul, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus God? Yes or no? Yes, yes. yes, he is. And so this brings us back once more to the Nicene Creed. Uh, the creeds, again, were written in time and in space. They had a reason, and the affair and the occasion for this was that there were people who were teaching Jesus is not God. Now, I've already shown you that there's a section here uh, that is... Uh, apart from the Apostles' Creed. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want us to zoom in over on a few of the phrases that show up only in the Apostles' Creed. So over in the blue, it says, uh, eternally begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Sounds a little redundant, right? Um, This doesn't show up in the Apostles' Creed. This is specific to the Nicene Creed because what they're wanting to show us is that when you confess belief, the most important thing you can say is, I believe. What does creed mean? I And when you say that about Jesus, this is what you must mean. You must mean that I believe in Jesus. Yeah, tell me, what about Jesus? Um, he is eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Now, they're in the Council of Nicaea. The, the few Arians who are there, they're actually fine up to this point. Uh, this language does not bother them that much because they simply will say, well, there still was a time when he was not. Jesus can be God. He's just a little God, a lesser God. One as the son of God. But see, our, uh, our forebears here in our faith, they were very, very wise. They knew that we needed to stomp this thing up specifically with one word, that the Arians could not get around, and it comes next here. He is begotten, not made, and this line right here, of one being with the Father. It's the word homoousius. Now, I I warned you there were big words in this message, so just go with me on this, all right? This is a Greek word made of two, um, one that refers to a being or a substance with the prefix homo, meaning of the same Kind And so homoousius means of the same substance. And 
the second word here that the Arians wanted to use, homoiousius, means of a similar substance. And the one that's put into the creed is the first one. Homoousius. Now, if you think homoousius and homoousius, eh, it's a potato, potato, right? I'm from Segola. It's the same thing. <laughs> if you think that's true, then you also think uh, burger and booger mean the same thing. <laughs> and if you do, I got a Kleenex full of burgers over there for you. <clears throat> this is the word homoousius. That means of the same substance as the Father. Or of one being of the Father. It means specifically that Jesus' nature is the same nature of God the Father. Now this is going to become a problem for the church. And we're going to deal with it next week in the next creed. Because what this does is it forces them to think through Jesus as not having one nature but two. If what you're telling me is that Jesus has to be fully divine, the nature of God, immutable, impassable, then why does it look like Jesus is so very similar to us? And it's because Jesus actually has two natures, God and man. Two natures in Jesus. And this is where we're going to go next week, trying to understand, not like this week, the unity within God and God the Father and Jesus, but the diversity with God, the Father, and Jesus. So the church is going to continue to have to figure this out. Um, I just want to make sure that you can see how very crucial it is that this one tiny little letter makes all the difference. It's the tiniest little line, and it can unravel the whole thing. If all we did was insert that I into the creed, Jesus would be just like all of the other religions of demigods and lesser gods, and our faith would have dissolved into the pantheon of other Roman deities. But the church said, no, you're getting this wrong. Jesus is not like the creatures. He is like the creator. And that is what is preserved for us in the Nicene Creed. So there you go. One more time, just that tiny little line that makes all the difference. Uh, For just a few minutes, I'd like to draw our attention to the book of Hebrews. Will you turn there with me just to the very beginning? Much like John does in leading with this information by the Spirit's understanding, his kindness to make sure that the church is equipped to handle the false teachings that are going to come their way, the writer of the book of Hebrews likewise leads with an understanding of the nature of Jesus' divinity. Hebrews chapter 1, just verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the exact radi- or is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. A few observations I want to give you here. This is Jesus according to uh, three categories. The writer of Hebrews uses these in reference Uh, to point in importance to the ones in the middle. So first, he tells us about Jesus' position uh, in that he is the inheritor. Did you see that in the text? Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Uh, This is exactly what Paul means when he writes to the church in uh, Colossae and says, he is the image 
of the invisible God. So if you want to see God, who should you look at? And then the very next phrase says, the firstborn over all creation. Not that you would think Jesus is born, but that you would understand he is in the position of preeminence as the inheritor of it all. For that is the position of the firstborn. Uh, Jesus here is the inheritor of all things. Secondly, what is Jesus's function? He's the creator. Again, into verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says, through whom he made the universe. You might already be remembering um, our message there in 1 John. In the beginning was the word. So there in the beginning, Jesus is present as the creator. And now we get to his nature. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, and he's the exact representation of his being. This now speaks to Jesus' nature. Two more very quickly. Function actually has two on it. He's, He's the sustainer. It says sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then after he had provided purification for sins, hey, look at that, you show up. Where do you show up in verse 3? Where'd sin come from? Point to your neighbor and say, it came from you. (laughs) All right, it came from me. That's where sin came from. And so we show up here. God's love for the world is found in that Jesus is given as the inheritor, as the creator, as the one who radiates God's glory, represents the full being of God, sustaining the entire universe by his word. How do you think the galaxies hold together right now? Scientists will say gravity. We say it's Jesus. How do you think the atoms on the subatomic level hold together right now? Scientists will say it's the strong and the weak force, nuclear forces. We say it's Jesus. He sustains and holds all things together by his word. The Bible tells us in the end, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed by fire. They will all come unraveled. There will be a day where all of this has to be done away with and Jesus will remake it all, recreate it again, a new heavens and new earth. But until that day, the only reason it holds together is because of who? It's because of Jesus. And then he came for you to make purification for your sins. And lastly, the last position is he is the ruler. And so this we ought to be comfortable with already as our Lord. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So what do we do with this today? All right, Pastor. That was fun. Nicene Creed. Can't wait for next week. (laughs) Here's what what I want to challenge you with. Um, I I wasn't giving enough attention to the most crucial part of the boat on the hitch. I I had it all set up. But I forgot this one little thing right here. And do you know what? This one little piece right here was the most important piece of all. And so my first challenge to you is that you actually give the nature of God some attention. I want you, as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to take the Nicene Creed seriously. This matters. How you think of Jesus matters. Whether he is for you just another guy Creator or fully God, the full nature of God will completely change how you worship him. And that moves me to my second challenge, which is just allow Jesus's nature to move you to worship him as your Lord. Is it not so much more dramatic that God's love for you and I as essentially weeds, 
That's essentially what we were. The Bible says uh, that we were those condemned by our nature, objects of wrath. You heard the kids talk about the weeds, right? Right? Ah, yuck, get rid of weeds, right? That's what you and I were. But it is God who has taken you out of the field and placed you in the vase. And that done by none other than the second person of the Trinity who is very nature, God. That should change how you understand the weight and the glory of the value that God has ascribed both to his son to take the penalty that you and I deserve and your purpose on earth now to serve him. It's no trivial thing. It's no small thing. Please allow the Nicene Creed to touch your heart. Will you pray with me today?